0: This podcast is presented by MIQ, an award-winning programmatic media partner for marketers and agencies. Learn more about MIQ's exciting business problem-solving solutions at wearemiq.com slash ATV. That's W-E-A-R-E-M-I-Q dot slash ATV.
1: This week on Next Media, I spoke with Patience Hagen, a senior reporter at The Wall Street Journal who covers digital advertising, including the giant platforms like Google and Facebook. Patience recently had a huge bombshell story on Google, which had for a while been violating its own terms of service frequently while delivering campaigns for brands looking to extend their YouTube reach. Patience and I talked about how exactly this happened and what it means, and whether this provides more ammo for regulators that are advocating for a Google breakup. Patience and I also talked about the latest chaos at Twitter, whether whether new CEO, Lindy Acarino, can lure back brands. Lots of great stuff to unpack here, so let's get started. everyone welcome to Next in Media in partnership with BTV this is Mike Shields I'm here with Patience Hagen she's a digital advertising reporter at The Wall Street Journal hey Patience thanks for being here
2: thank you so much for having me
1: I'm really excited to talk to you because you've had one of the big stories of them of the year so far uh, in the last couple of weeks hopefully folks have read it but maybe if, if they haven't you had a it was kind of a bombshell on Google's advertising business specifically YouTube um, advertisers were ending up in places that they didn't expect or didn't want to be in specifically off YouTube, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and it was, you were, you found a high, high degree of Google violating its own terms of service, but I don't want to put words in your mouth, maybe, maybe you can just kind of explain the story that you wrote and we, we can get into like the magnitude of it as we go forward.
2: Oh, yes. And okay. thank you for th- thank you for getting me started, because that was a great way to like get strike at the heart of it. OK, good. This research is about ads that are bought through YouTube, but end up off YouTube. Uh, and sometimes sometimes the ad buyers themselves aren't even expecting it. So it's, it's a specific Google product that's very lucrative for them and one where there just hasn't been a lot of transparency um for this story i'm sorry
1: can i interrupt you for one second when you when brands when they didn't they they didn't they don't expect it is it that uh, i'm sure they don't expect to be in not so great places but do they do they not even realize they're going to not be on youtube in some cases
2: well in some cases they don't it's actually like it's actually in the fine print it it, google does make that known about this product that um you if you buy it ads through this product that it used to be called TrueView, but Google sunsetted that name, so it doesn't have, it doesn't really have its own brand name right now. But if you buy ads through this product, that's like a bundle that includes both ads on YouTube itself and ads on other sites and apps around the web okay. on a network called Google Video Partners. So brands, like it, basically, it's it was always in the fine print. Everyone should have known it was going there. But I've talked to some um, I've talked to some buyers who kind of admitted, you know, admitted to me as anonymous sources that they didn't realize those um, those TrueView packages included uh, properties off YouTube. Google, they told me that Google doesn't bring this up in marketing pitches for TrueView and doesn't put it in the marketing copy. So they just kind of downplay it. Uh, okay. And that's one thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's just one yeah, thing. Then
1: there's and other other parts of this that are even more uh, not not so great for Google.
2: Right. Right. And that's the fact that my story is basically wouldn't have been absolutely would not have been possible without research by the research firm analytics run by the researcher Christoph Franczek. Uh And he's he's responsible for the absolutely bombshell findings here. But he analyzed um, a huge volume of ad impressions that were bought through TrueView to figure out what kinds of third-party properties they were actually landing on. And he found that, like, uh, well, in his sample, 80% of the time, it didn't conform to Google's promised standards. For these TrueView ad impressions that are going to run on third-party sites, Google promises that it's a premium ad placement. They promise that it's... um, that it's like basically in a, an ad experience that's kind of similar to watching ads on YouTube itself. So it has to right. be what ad buyers call in-stream, which means it's before it's like before the page's main video content. It has to be video content that users. Um, like came to that page to watch or explicitly initiated watching. You're
1: watching a video on purpose. This is not like getting thrown in your face like that kind of it's not supposed to be inflating yeah. ad impressions that way theoretically.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's exactly right. It's supposed to be like a video you you're watching on purpose um and it can't be like off to the side in a small player. It's like the main event of that page. Uh so what he found is that um for one thing so many of these placements were not actually running in like in the stream content that was like a video you're watching on purpose. So much of the time they were actually running in this little like a, a little um, a little player off to the side um, or, you know, they were breaking. They're kind of violating other rules of this premium ad product. But buyers were paying for the premium ad product and they were getting like, you know, they were, they were getting the kind of off to the side autoplay videos that user users ignore. And those are worth a lot, lot less. So one, honestly, right. one buyer compared it to uh, one, one buyer I spoke to, he compared it to like Google told me I was buying a Ferrari and instead they just gave me like a rusty old bicycle like that, that which is, which is a harsh comparison, but that's, it gives you a sense of the value. Like if, you know, according to Kristoff's research, uh, this is, you know, they were, they were not giving them the the kind of ads they paid for. And then for another thing, they weren't landing on sites that met uh, the promised standards for what kind of science. Like, it, uh, it's not, you know, they were running on, in some cases, sites that, that didn't meet Google standards for monetization, like sites that had a history of pirated content of copyright infringement, sites that uh, published misinformation. And sites that um, that even like f- were basically what what the industry calls made for advertising sites, which are like clickbait sites that are just loaded with as many ads as possible.
1: Okay, so not only are you may, you maybe don't even realize you're not getting YouTube, you think you're supposed to be getting in stream, <laughs> no, neither I, of those things are happening, and you're ending up on sites that are brands probably most reputable brands would not want to touch for a variety of reasons. So three pretty bad strikes against Google in this in this case.
2: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's like it it's it's interesting cuz it was kind of like hidden in plain sight. Because a lot of brands themselves would have had the power to find this if they if they'd put it together, uh-huh. if they'd done the meticulous research to, to look at what they had bought.
1: Now, what was I thought pretty interesting about your your report and the, and the, receipt or the research that you cited, Google didn't in this case say, "Oh, you know, gosh, sorry, we screwed up. We totally, met, you know, we didn't we uh we somebody messed somebody didn't check a couple boxes and this wasn't supposed to happen they were they were kind of they put out a blog post that was pretty defensive what was your read on that
2: well yeah it was interesting um they you know they called the they called the claims inaccurate and they they said the report had used unreliable sampling and unreliable proxy methodologies you know i can I've vetted this report really carefully. I've spoken to many people who vetted it. And uh, I can tell you for a fact that's not, you know, that's not the case. It really wasn't a case of unreliable sampling. You know, Google put out their response. Uh, you know, many have pointed out that some of the specifics, Google just kind of didn't address them. Like Google didn't necessarily get into the nitty gritty of combating the claims of the report. Uh, and it's right. It, they didn't go line by uh, line.
1: They answered part they wanted to answer. Yeah, kinda. exactly.
2: And it's it's kind of it's. It's gonna be interesting to watch it unfold. Like brands are demanding answers, ad agencies are demanding answers. They're uh, they're having interesting conversations with Google that get that get more interesting than that response, shall we say.
1: So it's so interesting because you've covered this for a while. You you probably remember like YouTube was there was a famous YouTube boycott not long ago. And this was that was much more based upon Brands ending up sponsoring YouTube videos that had very questionable content, you know, like horrible things, beheadings and terrorist videos and stuff like that. <clears throat> and brands like AT&T like stopped spending with YouTube for quite a while. Since then, you know, it seemed like you, Google kind of figured it out. They made enough steps to make brands feel comfortable. And at the same time, they're making strides and in, in presenting YouTube as this very premium thing. It's up there with television. People watching on television you know, you wonder what's going to what what kind of is this a it doesn't seem like a small thing that can be brushed aside. But does this hurt that question or what what, you know, like it's hard to know what other round vacations are the ramifications are going to be at this weird time that they just absolutely did not need this headache.
2: I think it's going to be absolutely fascinating. Like brands are already reconsidering how much they're going to spend on YouTube. Um, and it, it's it's uh, it's just raising all kinds of questions at a time when they were already. You know, they're already kind of fighting a lot of battles uh, on different fronts. Uh, I mean, Google is already is subject to um, antitrust scrutiny. There's so many there's there's already so many powerful people calling for a breakup. And it's um, it's interesting just to to think about how this might affect those calls. Is it going to make it's already making some people kind of point to this as an instance of why, uh, you know, why it's dangerous for one platform to get too powerful.
1: Yeah, I, you're right. It's it's there are so many uh, guns pointed at Google from bar- from you. You have the DOJ, you have various state attorney generals, you have the EU. It's, it's honestly hard to keep track of all the people trying to or, or regulators trying to hit hit Google on a certain front. Um. So I I wonder like might yeah those are my first thoughts. Does this just like give those give regulators more fuel to the the breakup push? But then again, I, I think. I find that some of the, these lawmakers are slow to grasp some of these things or re, re, react upon. them. But do you, do you think this kind of moves things faster and this is like this is just more fuel for regulators trying to push them apart? Or do you, or do you, have, any, do you have any sense of what people in the market are saying what's going to happen next?
2: Oh, that's a great question. I mean, people in the market are saying people in the market are saying all kinds of things like they I mean, the people who want to break mm-hmm. up are suggesting that it will be greater fuel. Um, It's, you know, one really interesting thing about that is that part of the, um, you know, some of the uh, some of the like parties who were affected and who are aggrieved about these, um, these invalid ad placements are like powerful members of government themselves. Like it affected a bunch of um, it affected several ad campaigns by members of Congress. Uh, yeah, That's crazy. yeah, <laughs> and it affected ad campaigns by uh, federal agencies like Medicare, and by the European Parliament. So it's like in in some cases, like you know, it it's 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 um, <laughs> definitely got into the eyes of people who like who are already had their finger on the button for breakups and other things. So it's right. yeah, it's right. it's like it's it's the it's it's not going to help Google, <laughs> and it and it's almost like hitting just the people they wouldn't that they were hoping wouldn't you know would never be bothering them right. about something like in-stream out placements
1: yeah if you're helping to kind of if you're hoping to kind of duck and cover for a little while and make this go <laughs> away you don't want to have actual actual lawmaker campaigns involved in the in the problem that you've just thrust upon the world that's not going to help things i i, I often wonder about this like what at a certain point why is this worth it to google i don't know if you can speculate on this like they almost might want to just get out of this, not not get out of YouTube, but get out of any kind of like third-party ad tech or, or ad inventory representation, because it, it it's it makes it drives revenue for them, but it's still not the the biggest money maker in the world, and it seems like it's almost becoming more headache, more of a headache than it's worth. Given the old the I wonder if they if they're just wondering at a certain point, it's like why we why are we going to bother. With this, with this part of our business, let's make everybody happy and spin this off or make it go away.
2: That's fascinating. All right, that's a great point. And I gotta wonder because, like, as you're kind of getting at, like, the first party business is way more is more profitable for them. So why it's like, why are they still holding on to this third party business? That's absolutely fascinating.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, no one wants to throw away revenue, but it's just you, you, you wonder the the heat is going to be intense. Um, do, do you think you're going to see, like, I, I, I turn out to be a little cynical at times, With sometimes like you see brands scream about things and then, you know, they, 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 oh my God, Facebook, I can't believe all this disinformation. I can't, this is horrible for society. And then they don't do anything. Uh, um, like, do you think we're going to see, is it possible we'll see a bunch of brands pull dollars or like, were they, or just like, you know, or, 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 will, or will they more, more likely say, just keep me out of the, uh, out of this off YouTube stuff and uh, you know keep me on uh, keep me on YouTube property like what kind of what kind of fallout do you think you, you might you might see I
2: I'm wondering the same thing and waiting for the shoes to drop based on what I've learned yeah. so far from sources um br- like brands like ever since the first day brands have been trying to have been opting out of of GVP out of the third party placements um and so There was an immediate reaction. Yes, exactly. And it kind of like you predicted like a lot of people are keeping their spend on youtube like not not willing to quit youtube entirely and many marketers say like youtube is just so big i kind of have no choice but to buy it
1: yeah that yeah especially if certain for a certain younger demographics it's 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 really hard probably just to say we're going to walk away from this entirely okay let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor miq Joining me today is Aaron Midorsky, Chief US Strategy Officer at MIQ, to talk about programmatic CTV. Thanks for joining me today, Aaron. Thanks, Mike. A lot of marketers are still using CTV as part of their linear buys. Can you talk a little bit about what programmatic brings to the CTV space? Of course. I think
0: programmatic answers what are some of the biggest challenges that marketers face in the CTV space today, starting with the fact that there's just greater audience intelligence. With Programmatic, you can leverage CTV to find audiences based off of a wide variety of attributes, like what are they watching on television or what they're buying in stores. But also, Programmatic addresses the heavy fragmentation. There are just so many streaming apps and channels to work with today that it's like really complicated and confusing. Programmatic simplifies the game in a big way, allows TV buyers to reach the exact right audience through the highest quality path at the best possible price point. But then finally, programmatic is also just better at managing frequency across linear and CTV, which is truly a game changer when you think about the amount of over delivery that marketers are experiencing in either one of these environments. And where does MIQ enter this conversation? Well, MIQ has built the largest and most diversified TV data footprint in the industry. We've also focused on developing specialized trading practices and our own proprietary tech, all focused on helping TV buyers ensure that their CTV investment adds more value and incremental reach into the equation. Excellent. Where can folks learn more? they should visit our website we are miq.com/atv thanks again for joining us Aaron thanks Mike i want
1: to i want to shift gears kind of kind of wildly here but something you've also been writing about that's been really the big the big story of the year i think probably in digital advertising media and across the board is is, is ai how it is going to affect the way consumers use the internet, the way consumers interact with brands, and certainly the way advertising works. You you've you recently reported on what's going on at Microsoft with how they're going to try and incorporate this into Bing. Google is obviously trying to respond. What what's your it's obviously very early and this and there's a lot of hype and also a lot of fear and uncertainty. What what are you seeing in terms of like today how AI is affecting I guess there's a couple of this several different aspects there's the ad buying ad placement end of things and then there's the ad the ad products themselves and then there's like the creative process where, where are you seeing the most immediate changes and what's maybe you can talk about what you're seeing over at bing and what they're trying okay. to do okay
2: absolutely that's a lot <laughs> okay in terms of the most immediate changes i think i think the just the person who's done the best reporting on this is my colleague suzanne vernice uh who wrote about how yeah oh, Suze. oh i know Suze. who doesn't know suz of More course, ahead. and as uh, she's just done incredible reporting about how brands are already using AI to drive the creative side, like to come up with taglines, um, to create like to create images that honestly are like almost ready for the campaign. Uh, and it's like, I mean, it's 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 scary how good it is. Uh, and I I just think like people are going to get smarter and smarter about how to use it. That's where, and I feel like that's the area where we're like already seeing developments in the most concrete way.
1: They jumped right in,
2: those <laughs> yeah. folks. Yeah. On on like things like Bing incorporating AI, what I'm hearing there, I feel like is still like a lot of fretting from the ad industry and a lot of like asking questions that don't have answers. Cause Ugh. they're, you know, they're asking things like, what you know, when um when are those new AI powered searches going to become the norm? Um, you know, when they do, like, is that going to, um, like, th- they just feel like they still don't have a good handle on how it's going to up- upend the kind of search that they've used, uh, that you know, that they've used forever. And I'm hearing a lot of fretting yeah. from publishers, too, who are, like, you know, fearful of the day when that kind of search becomes the norm and then it it just kind of no longer drives clicks to publisher sites like it used to. You get the answer right there in the search result. And you never visit the site,
1: and that's already that's already been a problem recently as Google surfaces answers in their search results before it. this AI uh, noise are really coming. Yeah, you know, you're looking up hmm, movie times and the weather. You don't have to visit those sites anymore. Google pops that stuff up. You you would just wonder if the publishers that rely on that SEO traffic are going to take a big hit, and then and then you know does everybody have to completely redesign their their Sites and and rethink their whole revenue model, which is going to be earth shattering if if this, you know, if this goes in the direction many people think.
2: Yeah, I agree. It's like, I mean, it's like remaking the web basically. It could change everything about how we interact with publishers.
1: Yes, or it could. We could be totally wrong. It's hard. Like, I I don't know if the average person yet. I don't know if you've seen this. Like, where, where with all this fretting going on, does the average person want to use chat? to navigate the web are they are they inclined to do that i don't know i don't know if we know that yet
2: yeah i agree i'm not i'm not inclined to use it that way but like and i i i think i might pass as an average person um I, yeah and it's just <laughs> when you know what's going to be people's comfort level with that and what's going to be like the use the true use case for it that it's just so, so sorry to frustrate you but it's like too soon to say
1: i guess um, another topic you've been writing about and a lot of your colleagues have been too, is the state of Twitter. Inside and it continues to be complete, talk about fascinating and, and wild, a wild thing to watch. You've got, you know, the, Twitter has obviously had a, uh, a tough run of it advertising-wise since Musk took over, but then you've got this very advertising-friendly CEO Linda Lindy Acarita that's come on board. I wonder what you're hearing the reaction in the industry to her hire. Meanwhile... The the chaos kind of continues even as, she, as even as she gets her feet under her with this <laughs> whole uh, limited number of tweets and all all, all this other stuff. What, what's kind of the what's the read of the market right now there?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, what I heard from brands after she was hired is like, uh, kind of a, a sigh of relief. They liked seeing someone who is kind of from their tribe, one of their own, mm-hmm. in charge again. Someone who like kind of gets the ad business and is going to value it. I mean, if you just think back to everything Elon Musk has been doing since the fall, like it just looked like, you know, he didn't really, it almost looked like he didn't care about advertisers' concerns and he just expected to like change the platform and wait for them to follow. Uh, And then, you know, advertisers weren't so willing to follow. Uh, So I just just heard so much relief from advertisers who were glad she was back and they felt like she was going to restore the kind of order they were used to. I mean, not glad she was back, glad she came on board. Um, This rate limiting thing like yeah it's brands are saying like how's that you know that's not going to help but also like uh, the reaction I've heard from ad buyers is but to to the rate limits has been a little muted I mean maybe that's in part because it happened over the holiday but also just because people
1: checked out a little bit yeah
2: yeah but also just because it's like it's like one more thing compared to all the changes that tour has been going through like that's like just a drop in the bucket yeah. At a certain point,
1: it's kind of, it's almost hard to process the amount of, of crazy things to even know what to what to react to. but uh, so do, do you think again, hard to know these things, but is there is there going to be a willingness now that Linda is in, in, in you know in her position will do will, 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 you think we'll see a bunch of brands come back and give them another chance or does she have to do a bunch of things to make the brands feel like, okay, this is going to be a little bit safer, this is going to be less chaotic?
2: Well, I feel like people are, people are waiting for the policy changes, you know, for the most part, Mm -hmm. like that's, that's, what's going to bring the brands creeping back. It's not, not just having her in, in, yeah, they want to see something. Yeah. Yeah. And they care, you know, they care a lot about performance. Like this is business and it's a very, like, I mean, it's all about the bottom line. So if, if, yeah, if they, if they can make a product that really performs, everyone will come running back.
1: Right. What uh? What's your general sense of the marketplace? I, I was in Can a couple of weeks ago. I'm not sure if you were, but the um, you know, there there was a lot of like God. It's been an, it's been a tough advertising market. It's I mean, it really depends on the sector of the industry you're in. I think uh, retail media certainly was not worried about a tough market, for example. But um, there was optimism that things were maybe turning the corner for the second half of the year. Maybe the vibe I got from from folks is okay. Maybe we're not gonna be we're not gonna have a lot of visibility like we'd like, but there's there's optimism that spending is gonna come around, and we're gonna keep we're gonna keep we're, we're gonna have a pretty decent second half of the year. Is that what what kind of sense are you getting from the market?
2: Oh, um, I I feel like the the sense I'm getting is like it's not getting any worse, and maybe starting to get better. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty good. Is that is that what you're hearing? Like it's like yeah, but yeah, that... the, the the bottom we hit bottom really quickly, and then it's like started it it you know. Things started to maybe improve or at least get more comfortable
1: right but that that success right now it's not getting any worse <laughs> <laughs> yeah
2: i mean after we live through like 2020 you know at least at least people are like at least it's like um you know look on the bright side things can always get worse yeah
1: right we've we've already we've dealt with real shockwaves this is just a rougher time
2: yeah um, what is your
1: take on not I know I'm jumping around on the topic but with I was going to ask you about Meta's business overall they, they you know they're tr- they've been trying to recover from what Apple instituted a couple what is that? a year and a half ago now um, with really changing the way attribution works on that platform They were such a jargon off for so long and now they're you know now they're going to have a Twitter competitor so I guess this is a two part question is it, you know, like what what is your sense of Meta's attempt at rebuilding its advertising business and then do they have a chance here with this with this Twitter competitor? There's also a lot of other ones out there.
2: Okay, great point. I think you nailed it when you said like Meta, you know, is rebuilding is, you know, has done a lot to rebuild its advertising business. I think it's just, it's incredible when you think about it, that Apple's, you know, Apple's privacy change that was simple for them kind of dealt the biggest shockwave to Facebook's business model, bigger, you know, bigger than any mm-hmm. of these regulators. People like... Regulators have been talking yep. for years about like cracking down on the way Facebook shares data, and you know everyone's writing these stories acting like the regulators are going to be the one to to upend Meta's business model and change it. Uh, but all it all it took was Apple, really, like more powerful than any regulator, right? Um, and then yeah, and then this this Twitter competitor, I just can't wait to see where that goes. You know, it's um it's interesting, like users I feel like users are hungry for Twitter right people pe- I, I'm still using it and then brands got uncomfortable with it so t- you know yeah. Facebook is asking the question okay like if we launch if we launch our vision of Twitter and and it's the the same like we're, we're the company that brands know and you know are still are still spending heavily with you know can we just capture some of that money and it's like right it's it's fascinating you, you kind of have to think like did Twitter kind of hand them that opportunity like uh, and it's right if, yeah we're, if they can do it in a lasting way it could it could be a serious blow to Twitter
1: now I guess the question will be like, you know there's the does this bring new people to this whatever you want to call it micro blogging act um, behavior or do you get up you get the Twitter crowd to just jump over or both you know Facebook's big but I but they're also you know it depends on the way we're talking about Instagram or Facebook it's itself um, they're older sort of right does that does that audience want to do this or not, or is we just are we just trying to get the regular, the the people the Twitter people who are freaked out about what's going on to move over? I I, I don't know.
2: I don't, I don't even, know if there's an answer there. Yeah, that's so fascinating. Yeah. I wonder if it'll like draw in like the Instagram crowd, kind of that um that you know th- that crowd rather than the like mm-hmm. the Twitter crowd or some mixture of the two. Um, it could be fascinating.
1: Yeah, I would like to stop. I have a problem. On Twitter, but I, I've, I've struggled to find an alternative. Oh my but god, my, this too. might be way really good for me. Which, ironically, it might drive me into the hands of a company that I'm not sure I totally trust either. But that's neither here nor there. Um, I just want to want to wrap on this. Patients, what, what are you eyeing? Like, what, what are some of the other big areas that we should be paying attention to um, outside of the big stories you've been writing on? Like, are you are you watching the overall digital advertising regulation market? Like with the state laws going into effect it's july now there's a the california is able to go out there and enforce or is that something you're watching are there other big stories that you should the folks should keep an eye on for the rest of this year
2: okay great question i'm watching the market for state privacy laws but like i like honestly for me it's like waiting for the tipping point when this uh-huh. like hodgepodge of state privacy laws becomes too much that like congress finally passes the um like passes a federal privacy law like i feel like we're all kind of waiting on that moment that's going to be the thing that could really um you know that could really like that could really shake things up i think like if you if you look at the the impact from ccpa you know companies companies complied with it uh and then you know there might be some still some shoes to drop in terms of like the ways the law is getting Uh stricter but it didn't it didn't really force like like a a sea change in the way companies use consumer data and everyone's kind of wondering like could you know if if um you know i mean if lawmakers if if the time is right and lawmakers do something draft you know uh, it, it could could lawmakers push something through that that pushes that change at a federal level right well another thing on my radar is the way the ftc has been taking on this role and and Getting into getting their elbows into regulate privacy a little bit. Um, there's that pending suit against Kochava. Uh, I, I'm kind yep. of watching it as a bellwether to figure out if the FTC is gonna um, gonna bring more of these suits. They're you know, they're for the kind of practices that um the industry is regarded as perfectly legal for years and no one had a problem with. Suddenly, the yeah, FTC in fact, Kochava pushed back, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly why Kochava pushed back. And if the FTC you know, if this leads to some kind of consequences for Coachaba, it could be like I mean, it, it could be something like almost akin to like the stock option backdating scandal, where companies were just doing something for years they thought was fine, and then all of a sudden the SEC said, hey, wait. Uh, it, it, so it, that could, I think, force a real sea change in how consumer data is used.
1: Right. Right. Where well, we see just practices really shift, or just a bunch of, or some companies just kind of like paying a couple fines and moving on that that that'll be the interesting thing to see if it Test. how massive of a of a change it is
2: and then the election we you know that's hey it's like it's finally time we can start talking about political advertising spend and i i just think this is going to be a fun one
1: yeah um might not be healthy for any of us but <laughs> yeah like, <laughs> with with all the things you just talked about right and then and then throw in like a, ma- a massive election and this the, you know the the stakes' could be higher on these campaigns are going to be um you you would assume heavily invested in trying all these new tools to get out every single vote and trying to push the boundaries of privacy while the the laws are being changed that's going to be wild yes yeah, oh my
2: God, I can't wait to see
1: um you're scaring me okay <laughs> um. Patients, great stuff. You do, you do a great job at the Journal. Keep up the great, great work. Well, let's talk again down the road, but thanks so much for your time here.
2: Thank you so much, Mike. Oh, it was a blast. So I can't wait for next time.
0: Today's episode was brought to you by MIQ, an award-winning programmatic media partner for marketers and agencies. You can learn more about MIQ at wearemiq.com slash ATV. That's W E A R E miq.com/atv.
1: Thanks again to my guests this week, Patience Hagen of the Wall Street Journal, my partners at MiQ, and my friends at BTv. If you like this week's episode, please take a moment to rate and leave a review. We have lots more to bring you, so be sure to hit the subscribe button. We'll see you next time on Next in Media.